this morning's reading is from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through to chapter 10, verse 20. It's on page 1514 of the Black Bibles. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, Leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Thank you, Mark, and good morning once again. My name is Carl, if you missed it before, I'm the pastor of the church here and it's lovely to be here with you this Sunday morning. If you're visiting, a very special welcome to you. I hope you're able to stay around after our service, enjoy a cup of tea or coffee outside, it's a a lovely day, still not too hot out there, we'd love to get to know you. Please do say hello to someone this morning if you're visiting, we'd love to welcome you and get to know you a little this morning. If you are visiting today, you've chosen a great week to join us, a great time of the year to join us, or if you're here today just wanting to check out who Jesus is, it's a good week to do that because we're in the middle of a series called Jesus, the Authorised Biography. We're looking into the life and work 
of Jesus at the moment. And we're doing that by zooming in on Matthew's account of Jesus' life. And we're looking at the middle chapters of Matthew's gospel. Over the last few weeks, we've been making our way through chapters 8 and 9. And we've seen the tremendous authority that's invested in Jesus. We've seen his authority to teach Authority to cast out demons. Authority to heal. We've seen him heal leprosy, paralysis, blindness, muteness. There's no sickness, we read, that Jesus is not able to heal. And then before we got to the end of chapter 8, we we saw that incredible account of Jesus calming a raging storm. And we know it's a terrifying storm. Because seasoned fishermen, in their fright and their panic, on a place that's really their home, the lake, they call out for a carpenter to help them. And Jesus, with just a word, rebukes the storm. And the disciples are so awestruck by this that they ask a question. And it's a a question I've been wanting you to ponder and think through over the last couple of weeks. What kind of a man is Jesus? We've seen that he's a man of authority, that his authority extends beyond the created world and it goes into the spiritual world. He has authority even to forgive sins. Here is a man who has a solution to our greatest need. He's got a cure and a strategy to that problem that we all have, the universal problem of sin. And last week I showed you that for an Israelite, this combination of miracles, the healing of leprosy, the healing of the blind, the deaf and the mute, and the lame, they all point towards something. They all point towards the coming of the Messiah, God's long-promised king, who would one day right the wrongs in this world. For a Jew reading this text or someone living in Israel at the time that Matthew wrote this, I reckon as they're reading this account, they'd be sitting on the edge of their very seat right now for here is their long sought after, long promised king. And at the end of chapter 9 and verse 35, we kind of get a summary of all this great stuff that's been going on. If you've not got your Bibles open, I'd love you to open them to Matthew chapter 9. It's on page 1,514. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it's kind of a summary of what Jesus has been up to. And it says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. You see what's going on here? Jesus is going through all of the towns and villages in the area. He's healing every disease and sickness. It's a pretty amazing picture, isn't it? Going through the towns, healing every disease and sickness. My wife Meredith is a doctor. She's got plenty to do in Adelaide. Plenty of work. Some of you are married to doctors. Others of you simply have had a hard time getting in to see a doctor in the past. And you therefore know how busy doctors are today. There are always sick people to treat, aren't there? So imagine what life was like back then in this time. Jesus going through the towns and villages healing all the sick. The doctors would have had time to do their paperwork. Nurses would have been able to go and leave for a few weeks. Hospital beds would have been emptied out. Just imagine the scenario. 
Jesus is not just healing as he goes from town to town, is he? He's also proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That word we have here in our Bible translated as good news, it's, it's also sometimes translated as gospel. Jesus is going from town to town proclaiming the gospel, the great news. Remember reading back in Isaiah, where we looked back there a few weeks ago, Isaiah promised of the good things that were to come when lions won't block your path. A time when the world will be put right. That's part of the good news. The kingdom of heaven is breaking into the world. Everything will be put right. Sickness cured, pain erased, and sin dealt with. This week I've really benefited from uh, the teaching and preaching of an English pastor. His name is William Taylor. He helpfully points us towards this idea that the word gospel, good news, was often associated with the idea of regime change. So when your army, if you happen to have one, when your army fights a battle and wins, they return home from their battle victorious They bring with them good news of the victory. They return home and they gospel good news of a victory. I know a few of you are into running, running long distances, uh, perhaps even running marathons. Some of you may be aspiring to do that. The word marathon, the name of a marathon, you probably know this, comes from the story of Pheidippides. Remember that guy who is said to have run from the Battle of Marathon to Athens, 40-something kilometres? And when he arrived in Athens, he was physically exhausted. But that doesn't stop him from proclaiming the good news that the army had defeated and won the battle. He gospels. He shares the good news of regime change. And in the case of Philippides, he kills over and dies. But um, that's the way the story goes. Here we have Jesus moving through the towns in each of the regions, proclaiming the good news. Things are about to change, he's saying. The kingdom of God is about to break into the world. Here is the long-promised king, the Messiah, the one who's about to usher in a regime change. And it's not a change that Israel's leaders expected, is it? Israel's leaders had long been described and thought of as the shepherds of the people, the sheep. They were, I think, hoping for the downfall of Rome. Instead, as we see in chapter 10, it's the shepherds themselves who will be replaced. The regime change is an internal one, not an external one. But before we get to chapter 10, I just want to spend a little bit of time with you looking at the end of chapter 9. And I want us to see in the end of chapter 9 the great compassion that Jesus has for the people. See, he's the king of the kingdom. We can't forget that. He's the one who has all authority, authority to drive out demons and to heal the sick and to raise the dead. And yet despite that incredible authority and power, he's motivated by a deep sense of compassion for the crowds that are following him. Do you see that there? Have a look with me at verse 36 of chapter 9. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want to ask that question of you again, what kind of a man is this? 
And as you answer that question, you must allow your answer, I think, to include this deep sense of compassion that Jesus has for the crowd. So he sees us harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The crowds in Israel were lacking leadership and direction. That's not necessarily a new thing in the Bible. The prophet Ezekiel, way back in his day in chapter 34, helps us to see that. I've got Ezekiel 34 up on the screen. Uh, Or you may like to look at it up in your Bible yourself. You can check up that I'm reading it correctly. It's on page 1,344. It says this in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains on on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. What I want you to see in this passage from Ezekiel is that being without the good shepherd, it's not something new for those in Israel. Israel had been that way in the past. And here we see Jesus seeing them as sheep, like sheep wandering over a mountain, lost and scattered. And Jesus has great compassion on them. I wonder today if you also have a sense of compassion for those in our world who lack a shepherd. I actually don't think this comes very easily for us here in Adelaide. In our part of the world, we have so much, so much material wealth. I think that often kind of plasters over our need for spiritual care. We can cover our spiritual reality with a meal out or a holiday overseas or a new wardrobe or a new car or a fancy drink. There's so many ways in which we can do it. Our friends have great jobs. They have excellent houses. They have fast cars. They have lazy Sunday mornings sipping coffee at a local cafe. At first glance, they probably don't look harassed or helpless. And yet if you scratch below the surface, if you look a little deeper... Our friends desperately need the good shepherd. Desperately need the gospel. And perhaps it's not until the death of a loved one or an unexpected diagnosis or the collapse of a business idea, but the reality is despite their appearance, many of our friends in this part of Adelaide are just like those in Israel. They are harassed and helpless. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And as we read this passage, I think we're supposed to ask ourselves, do we have a heart like Jesus' heart? Are we also motivated by a sense of compassion for those who are lost? Well, let's move on, because I think there's an interesting twist in this passage, a bit of a surprise, especially when we read it from a first century Jewish perspective. Remember that Jesus was moving through the towns and villages announcing the good news of the gospel, proclaiming a regime change in a sense. 
it seems like the shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders and teachers of the day, were expecting that regime change to involve Rome being cast off, their oppressors being disposed of. Perhaps they were looking forward to a day when Israel, or as a nation, would return to its glory days under King David and King Solomon. But instead, the regime change sees the shepherds of Israel being replaced by 12 disciples of Jesus. They have the authority of the chief shepherd. Must have been a shock, I think, to the establishment of the time. But it shouldn't have come as a surprise. It was kind of foretold back in Ezekiel's days. Let's go back to Ezekiel. I want to just take you on to verse 11 of chapter 34. This is what it says. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. God himself says, I myself will be the shepherd that looks after the sheep. I'll be the one to rescue them. Our God is a God who saves, isn't he? Back in Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus, the one who has all authority, God himself doing exactly what Ezekiel foretold. The regime is being replaced. The shepherd of Israel, motivated by a deep sense of compassion, is searching and seeking the lost sheep. That's a big task, isn't it? And so the shepherd... Ask his disciples to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the field. It's an important prayer, isn't it? Send out workers into the field. It's also a very dangerous prayer to pray. See, Jesus asks his disciples to pray for workers and five verses later, he's sending out those same disciples to do exactly what they've just prayed. In chapter 10, Jesus calls together what are now known as the 12 disciples. It's the first time they are the 12 in Matthew's gospel. And he invests them with special power and authority. And Matthew goes to great effort, doesn't he, to to show us and to identify who these 12 workers are. He wants us to be in no doubt that this actually happened. That these people have been authorised by Jesus as the replacement shepherds. So he gives us their details. Simon, who is called Peter. A bit confusing, isn't it? And his brother, Andrew. Now he's listing their credentials and who they are. I think if they had have had social security numbers or driver's license numbers in the day, it's likely Matthew would have given us that information as well. He wants us to be sure that this really happened and who really had special power invested in them. I think Matthew wants his readers to know who these people are because... They are the ones who are tasked with the first step of bringing the good news to Israel. So in verse 5, Jesus sends out this 12 on their mission trip. He says this, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. I wonder if anything strikes you a bit strange as we read that together. Why would Jesus limit the mission activity of these 12 just to Israel? Why not send them out to the whole world? Why not go to the Gentiles and the Samaritans? I wonder what you think. 
Perhaps it has something to do with the priority of Israel over the Gentiles in terms of God's plan for salvation history. Perhaps it's part of what's going on here. But perhaps what is happening here is that the 12 are enacting the regime change. They're going into Israel as Israel's shepherds, proclaiming the coming of the kingdom as they go. And did you notice the gifts that they're given, gifts that come from the authority of Jesus that he invests in these 12, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy? For Israel's shepherds, these were the things they were supposed to be on the lookout for, wasn't it? These were the signs or the telltales, as I said last week. They were supposed to be on the watch for these. These were the things that pointed, that yelled out, the kingdom of God is coming. Now I'm sure, had the twelve have gone into the Gentile townships, those Gentile townships would have loved the healing action. I imagine they would have loved to see their crowded hospitals emptied out. But the Gentiles, they could not have concluded, could they? that these signs of healing and raising the dead and cleansing those who have leprosy, they could not have concluded from that that the kingdom of heaven is coming. They couldn't have concluded that a regime change is about to happen. They wouldn't have known this is the new shepherd. Because that was part of the Jewish promises. And so the new shepherds, 12 of them now, head out into the towns and villages of Israel and Jesus instructs them how they're to go about their work of proclaiming the kingdom. They'll take nothing with them, no money, no bag, no extra clothing. When they enter a town, they'll find a place where they might speak and proclaim the kingdom. If the people respond, great. If not, they're to move on to the next location. And we're not given much of an insight here into how the mission goes, but we are told that the disciples are to expect things to be difficult. Regime changes are never easy, are they? And so Jesus sends them out like sheep among wolves. And he says this, Therefore be as shrewd as snakes, and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. That's the task that lies ahead for the twelve. That's the task of the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Telling Israel that in Jesus, God is breaking into the world. You might be wondering as you read this account, is this a pattern for mission more broadly? Should we expect our missionaries and our church workers to be able to heal the sick and raise the dead? When proclaiming the gospel, do we give it one go and then if it's not well received, do we simply wipe the dust off our feet and move on? Well, to be honest with you, I think there's some debate amongst theologians and scholars about how to interpret this passage. My interpretation is that of this passage, Jesus equips 12 disciples for a particular mission of showing Israel that the kingdom of God is coming. And that particular mission is done by 12 who have specially invested authority for that particular task. That doesn't mean, of course, that this passage is entirely useless for us today. Jesus is still the king of the kingdom, He is still the one who has great compassion on those who are lost. Indeed, because we have the rest of the story of Matthew, we can see exactly how deep that compassion runs. As we read on in the story, we'll see that that compassion is so deep that for the sake of those who didn't even know him, 
Jesus would give his life. See, unlike the shepherds, the leaders of Israel who profited from the people, Jesus is the good shepherd who would lay down his own life for the people. That is how deep his compassion runs. I hope today that seeing the compassion of Jesus motivates us to consider again how we relate to the crowds in our life. How do you see your colleagues at work? Or your teammates in your Wednesday evening sport group? Or your school friends? Do you see the urgency and the importance of proclaiming the kingdom in the same way that Jesus does? I think many of us are doing a pretty good job at this at the moment. We're we're a new church, and our reason for being a new church in this part of Adelaide is that we think new churches reach new people with the good news of Jesus. February's been a busy month for us as a church as we continue to try hard to introduce our friends and family to the good news of Jesus. Last night, many of the men got together for men and meat. It was a very memorable evening. Liam, thank you so much for your faithfulness and willingness to get us thinking about life and death. For me, though, what I really appreciated about the night was seeing so many people whose faces were just not familiar, people who were invited to consider these questions out of love. Come and think a little bit about the spiritual world. Consider what happens when you die. And this Thursday, we've got the Mexican Margaritas and the Meaning of Life event. Again, I'm looking forward to hearing the stories of those who attend. On Friday night, as I said before, we ran our first time, had our Radiate group in here. Michael's been working so hard over the last six months to get this group up and running. And Friday night was a wonderful night. We had 40 kids sitting in this room. We played some great games. We ate some yummy food. The kids had a good time together. But perhaps the most important thing was that Mike stood up on this stage as dressed up in a costume as he does and he proclaimed that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. It was a great night. Thank you for your prayers and your encouragement for us as we try and reach families in this part of Adelaide with the good news of Jesus. If you ask Mike, I think he'll probably brush this aside, but let me tell you it's been hard work getting the Radiate group up and running. And you might ask, why are we going to all the effort of doing that? Well, I hope it's because we know what kind of a man Jesus is. We know of his authority and his power and his compassion. We know him as the king of the kingdom. We know he wants to be our Lord and the Lord of the people of Unley. Mission is hard work. Today, just like in Jesus' day, we're going to need to be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. We're going to need to be creative and winsome and engaging and optimistic as we try hard to bring the good news of Jesus to Adelaide. But it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth it because we're telling the story about the man who is the king of the kingdom, the one who has authority to heal and calm storms and to forgive sins. It's a story of our world being put right. It's a story of being reconciled to our great God. It's worth the effort. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your son, the good shepherd. 
for the inbreaking into the world of your kingdom. Thank you for your son's work on the cross, his authority to forgive sins and make us right with you. Father, we pray for those who don't know you and pray for us in our mission to help them understand you. And we pray that you would go before us in that task. Amen. Thanks, Susan. Got one question today on the SMS line. I'd love you to send your questions in if you have them. That's a great chance to be able to uh, interact with you and for you to check up on what I'm saying. Great question today. It says, Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8, talks about healing as opposed to the forgiveness of sins. Why the focus on healing? That's a great question, I think. Let me just read to you uh, Matthew 10, 7 and 8. It says, this is Jesus speaking. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. What I think is going on here um, is these are the signs, the gifts that the kingdom of God is breaking in. These are the signs that the shepherds of Israel should have been on the lookout for. We talked about this last week, but we could go to passages in Isaiah to see what Isaiah said the kingdom of heaven was going to be like, that it would have these kind of things happening as it broke in. But an even clearer picture of that is when John the Baptist's disciples come asking Jesus, essentially, are you the Messiah? Are you the one who is to come? And we can read that just in a chapter over. So if you come with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, verse 5 or verse 4, that John's Baptist, John the Baptist's disciples have come to Jesus. Are you the one we should expect or should we be looking for someone else is their question. And in verse 4, Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So we have here the exact kind of healing powers that indicate that Jesus is the one who is to come. He is the Messiah. He is God's promised king. Now, why wouldn't they also be able to forgive sins? Well, probably because the forgiveness of sins is the work of Jesus, the work of God. And we know that also from some of the stuff we've been looking at recently. If you just come back in the, in the Bible to the start of chapter 9, when Jesus does offer the forgiveness of sins to the paralyzed man, um, he says to him, uh, take heart, sons, your sins are forgiven. And at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Because who can forgive sins but God alone? So I think that's probably a bit of what's going on here. We have this idea of healing And the particular gifts of healing is really pointing to the coming of the kingdom. And for the disciples who head out, well, the forgiveness of sins, that's the work of Jesus. And we see that ultimately in his work on the cross. I hope that answers that question. I love answering questions. Please come and see me afterwards if you've got other questions and we can chat about them after our service.